Welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Smith. I've invited a friend to the table to share their story. Come and join us. Welcome to the Retreat House Table. On today's episode, I have author Jonathan Merritt, and he is the author of Learning to Speak God from Scratch. And I started reading and quickly realized as I was reading this book that this is such an important conversation and reached out to have uh, asked Jonathan to be on the podcast. And then I learned that he's not only an author, he's also an accomplished journalist writing uh, for Faith and Culture. He's a contributing writer to The Atlantic. He's published more than 3,000 articles in outlets like the New York Times, Christianity Today, and The Washington Post. Jonathan also coaches fellow writers with friend and mentor Margaret Feinberg at Write Brilliant, and which I love that you coach in turn and offer a hand back. So I am so excited to welcome Jonathan to the podcast today. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. It's my, it's actually a joy and a pleasure for me to be on your podcast and say hello to all of the Retreat House listeners. Thank you. Well, you know, it's always kind of you never know really where to start. So why don't we just start at the beginning with the book and how you got to the place of writing this book and, you know, why why is learning to speak God from scratch important? Well, you know, um, I don't know if, if you've ever had a an experience like this where uh, you had a big life change. And what happened is, is, is it started out that your circumstances changed. Mm. But then you, what you realize is what really changed was you. Mm. And that was the case for me. I, I, I made a move. I moved from the Bible Belt to New York City. I used to live <laughs> outside of Atlanta. And um, I you know, was raised there all my life. And I got this kind of divine stir. This, I, you know, I often say the whisper came. Mm-hmm. And I felt this nudge to go to New York. And so on a whim, you know, I owned a house, I just bought a car, but I just knew that was God kind of moving me there. And, and I don't know why, at the time, I don't know why God was moving me there. I, I, I'm thinking, oh, God, why would you move me across the country? I, I can work from anywhere. It's very expensive there and et cetera, et cetera. And I think in some part, this mm-hmm. book, is, is part of the reason why mm-hmm. that uh, it really took me leaving this kind of compartmentalized, insulated Christian environment and coming into contact with so many people who don't speak from uh, a common script, who don't um, maybe know what all of these sacred words I use mean, to m- sort of shake me awake and make me think, maybe there's something going on here that I should be paying attention to. And it was after moving to New York, you know, I I say in the book, I ran into this language barrier and I found that I was really struggling Mm -hmm. uh, to have spiritual conversations with people to talk about my faith for a number of reasons. And as I dug deeper, I found out this was not just a personal problem. This was a a cultural crisis that Mm -hmm. there are millions, perhaps tens of millions of other Americans just like me who feel this tension. They say, faith is important to me. But then when they sit and they think about it, they say, you know, I don't really talk about faith a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't feel 
comfortable talking about faith or I don't feel confident talking about faith. And as a result, like me, they stopped speaking God altogether. Mm -hmm. And it was that experience in me personally and then looking out and seeing the need that said that made me think, okay, I need to pick up the pen. I need to write a book about what's going on and what we can do about it. Yeah, I loved your approach. And I have to say, honestly, you would get you would get me to a place where I would feel like, oh, where are you going, Jonathan? Where are you going? I'm being stretched a little bit. And just when I would feel really nervous, you would give an example or explain. And I, oh, well, yeah. And I, that that process of like stretching is what all through the book, every chapter of like it was almost well and I almost feel like in my own life too things are kind of tossed up in the air right now so I totally resonated too with not being able to find well not being able to find the words and and grasping at how do I put into words what's happening or what this you know spiritual formation process that's going on inside of me is happening Mm -hmm. And um, I loved in, um, I don't remember what chapter it is. It's on page 29. My book is all full of tabs because <laughs> everything I underlined has a tab I on it. I love that. And I had to start a new row in the, like a second row in the back. Um, but when you're talking about the movie No Country for Old Men mm-hmm. and that imagery of the blazing embers in the animal horn, mm-hmm. but what you talked about, that McCarthy carrying the horn, that it was a metaphor for language, especially a sacred language, that words are fire that we carry to each other, but the embers do not originate with us. They are handed to us by messengers from generations past, and now we must pass them on to others. When we lose our spiritual vocabulary, we lose much more than words. We lose the power of speaking grace, forgiveness, love, and justice over others. And I totally resonated with that my own challenge of grasping at words, trying to find the words, and they're not being spoken as much. So it was harder to find them. Is that well, is that kind of the experience that you were having as you were talking to other people about it? Yeah, you know, there. I, I was. It, it's it kind of is a, a cycle. Mm-hmm. You know that you become uncomfortable with words, with certain sacred words. Maybe they. You know, I find that there are two kind of main reasons why people don't use certain sacred words. Um, either they there's a negativity, um, and so there's like a word like evil mm-hmm. or sin, and those words feel so negative to us that they're, they they become hard for us to articulate. But then there are other words that are really positive, but they're also declining in usage. A word like grace. Um, mercy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those words are words that they've become overused to the point where we no longer know what they mean. And, you know, I bet if I took most retreat house listeners and said, what does the word grace mean to you? Mm-hmm. They might not know. Um, they or they would give as many answers as there are people I would ask. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is, is at some point then, we begin to realize that we don't know what these words mean. And when we don't know what they mean, we eventually stop using them altogether. 
And so I found that a lot of people were having those kinds of experiences. Now, there's also social influences. I don't want to sound weird. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like an extremist. I, these words are too political now. Um, I, uh, I don't want to sound uh, like I'm trying to convert someone. I don't, so there are also all kinds of perceptions, external. So there's the mm-hmm. internal, it feels negative, or I'm confused, I don't know what it means. And then there's external. That person doesn't like the, this concept, or we assume, or it will make them angry, or we will have a fight about it, or they will think I'm being political, or they'll think I'm trying to coerce them. And it's that kind of combination, that that alchemy of the internal and the external pressures that have forced us to fall silent. Mm-hmm. So then what do you, what would you say to that? What would you say that, what is something that we can do to start speaking God from scratch? What does that look like? Well, I think, I think that there's power in the move from knowing to naming. Mm-hmm. So most people, I think, you know, you're listening to this and I'd say, check yes or no. Do you ever feel uncomfortable having conversations about faith in mixed company? Most people, I'm guessing, would check yes. Mm -hmm. But have they ever named that? Have they ever said that out loud? Have they ever asked why that is? Uh, Most people, I don't think, have ever named it. Mm -hmm. And so there's something really powerful in the kind of spiritual discipline of disclosure, of taking something that deep down you know is true and articulating it. Uh, releasing it into the world, saying it aloud. And that sort of is the very first step to say, I really struggle with this. And I do think this thing matters. I do, you know, these topics do matter to me. God, spirituality, uh, the inner life, um, these things matter to me. But identifying that you're struggling with it. And then I would say the communal practice of wrestling with what you've named Mm -hmm. so getting together with people and having a conversation like we are and asking what these different concepts mean to them um why do you struggle with this word what what would make this word come alive for you again what would make this concept uh meaningful to you again what would Mm -hmm. restore confidence in the vocabulary of faith Mm-hmm. And then getting out of the laboratory or getting out of the classroom and into the laboratory to then begin putting these things into practice and having conversations with people and learning from the process of doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think all of those things are incredibly important in this discipline of what I call in the book wordplay. You know, that, mm-hmm. that sort of is what I'm trying to teach people to do is to play uh, with these words. Right. And I think just th- that the thought of doing that makes some people just uncomfortable and sweat. And what do you mean you want me to talk about these inner, these deep inner things and say, I really don't know what these words mean, especially in a faith community. I think there's such uh, this, I'm auditing a a class at seminary this semester. And it's uh, most of the people that are in the class. I've never taken a seminary class. Most of the people in the class are at the end of their MDiv program. And so I find when I'm speaking in the class that I'm questioning myself. And I feel like people would feel similar. And, and so I feel out of place and imposter syndrome and that whole thing. And people would feel that way having this kind of conversation of, 
I'm going to expose myself for not uh, knowing these things. Uh, and what I've been learning is that there are these, I, I have found these people that are willing to struggle and willing to be vulnerable uh, and willing to say, I don't know. And you're, what you said about community is so important to, to find a friendly, safe space to have those kinds of conversations uh, where you're uh -huh. not going to be further shamed. And sometimes the shame is just us putting it on ourselves or something unspoken from our community. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, but I love that, that the encouragement in the book to, to, to do it, to, to wrestle and to continue to wrestle and... And like you said, wordplay. You know, I think there are a lot of people who who sort of assume that uh, to speak God from scratch means to preach at people. Mm. Uh, or to speak God from scratch means to have all the answers and then go tell everybody you have those answers. Or to have all the right arguments and to go out and to convince people that what you believe and what you think is right. And I think what I'm promoting in this book is more of an open-handed approach to conversation, to ask as many questions or perhaps more mm -hmm. as sentences you speak, to always take the posture where you, you're you seeking to understand before you're seeking to be understood. Mm, I was uh, a communications major, and that uh -huh. is the definition of good communication, when both yeah. parties are doing that. What if I, I mean, what if I said to take the person listening to this who says, you know, speaking God from scratch makes my palms sweaty. Mm -hmm. Does it, I mean, does it really, would it, would it, would it be hard for someone to sit down with, with a person that they know, respect mm -hmm. and love that they have an actual relationship with and to ask them what they believe and what they think about some mm -hmm. of these words. That's all that we're really, that's sort of step one. And I think most people listening to this would say, yeah, I could sit down with my best friends mm -hmm. and could ask them what they believe and consider uh, what they think these words mean and what the problems are with why we've lost confidence in some of these sacred words. And I think most people, the reason they don't, they don't, they don't feel uncomfortable about speaking God from scratch. They have, they have come to assume that to have a conversation about faith is something it's not. Mm -hmm. And they're now afraid of that boogeyman, mm -hmm. you know, that they have created. And I hope what I, I can do in this book is to maybe put people at ease mm -hmm. a little bit and to sort of help their shoulders come down from around their ears <laughs> and uh, just to just um, take, take a, a, a breather and to have the kind of open-handed conversation that I think most people are able to have. Well, and really, even though it makes them nervous, probably really desiring to have, to, uh -huh. to be given the permission and the space to, to wrestle with things. Uh -huh. And that's so the beginning of your book is you kind of setting the stage for what learning to speak God from scratch looks like, and then you demonstrate it in the second half of the book, which I really appreciated the... Your vulnerability too in the back of the book um, uh -huh. for that second half of you wrestling with the words and was there any word in particular that was kind of your became your favorite that maybe was transformed the most that that is now kind of a favorite word of yours 
You know, I really, um, I really loved wrestling, you know, because as you've said, the, the second half of the book is all essays on different words. And I really loved uh, wrestling with the word prayer, mm. um, you know, in the in Western Christianity, when we want to connect with God, with the divine, we make noise. Uh, we pray a prayer aloud. We have a, a, a spiritual conversation. We preach a sermon. We sing a song. And in, in Eastern versions of Christianity, they when they want to connect with the divine, they stop making noise. Mm. And of course, you find both of these things, you know, in the Bible. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Mm-hmm. Be still and know that I am God. Um, but... We tend to, you know, I often say it's like chest day and leg day at the gym. You, mm-hmm. you need both of these. But what happens is, is sometimes we walk around with chicken legs and giant pectoral muscles. Mm-hmm. And we go, hey, maybe it's time to, to work on your legs a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so for me, because I grew up in Western Christianity, I began to realize that the word prayer is much bigger uh, and roomier than what I assumed. And that actually, to, um, to learn to just sit and listen as much as I speak mm-hmm. is, has been a, a, trans, a game changer uh, for me. And so, you know, I, I tend to think that some of those words that are, were the most transformative for me are words that are not just, they're not just concepts, but they're also practices. They're things that kind of impact my every day. Mm-hmm. Those are those are the things that tend to be really, really impactful to me. I love that. I had a friend once say that she her prayer life or when she retreats, it's about stopping her body long enough so that her soul can catch up. Mm-hmm. Which I mm-hmm. felt like listening to prayer is like still because I'm a doer. And so mm-hmm. if you can just tell me what to do to be, then that would be great. But it doesn't work like that. I just have to mm-hmm stop and be still. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I, I love that. I think that's fantastic. And what would you say are words that are most commonly misunderstood or overused? Did you find? You know, I think, um, I think they're, they're one of the biggest words. And I spent a lot of time wrestling with this word, uh, is the word sin. Mm. Uh, I find that such a, uh, a difficult um, a difficult word because it's so, to use another modern word, it's so triggering to us. Mm-hmm. So we, and yet, I bet if you, if you ask most people listening to this, if you said, all right, walk out into the world around you, think about your day, turn on cable news or listen to NPR and take in everything that you see and hear and then answer this question. Is this the perfect world? Is this the world that ought to be, or is this just the world that is? Mm-hmm. Most people would say this is the world that is. It's not the perfect world. It's not the world that ought. Mm-hmm. What do you call that difference between is and ought? Mm. What do you call um, that that the things that contribute to a widening divide between is and ought? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we have a word for that. Mm-hmm. And now it has become negative because we've so misused it and abused it. And we often use the word sin mostly as a window 
through which to see other people's lives Mm -hmm. and not so much as a mirror Mm -hmm. to reflect on and evaluate the ways that we contribute to the chasm between is and ought. Mm -hmm. And because of that misuse of a very important word and concept, well, we don't feel very confident in using it. It feels sort of like a dirty word. But Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, well, then what if we took that mirror and flipped it around? What if we transformed it from a window into a mirror? Mm -hmm. Um, Would we be able to restore confidence in our faith in that word? I I think Mm -hmm. we could. Mm -hmm. And so it's these kinds of subtle shifts and transformation that I think breathe life into these words again. Yeah, I love that. I love the way that you defined it as how the world is and how the world ought to be. That's a great Mm -hmm. definition for that word, which is such a trigger word. Mm -hmm. Um, I love what you, your uh, chapter about the word neighbor or your essay on the word neighbor, Mm -hmm. especially today um, in today's the climate that we're living in today. And, Mm -hmm. and I haven't seen, will you be my neighbor yet? But I want to very soon. Oh, I know. gosh, you've got to. <laughs> I know. It's so good. <laughs> I grew up on Mr. Rogers. I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. Um, but that idea of taking it, well, you, you talk a little bit about your essay on neighbor. You know, what I found, and, and, and recently I did a, a whole YouTube short series where I went down to Times Square and ask strangers, what do you think this word means? Mm -hmm. And when it came to the word neighbor, I assumed correctly that most people um, believed that neighbor was defined by nearness. Mm -hmm. You know, that the house next to me, that's my neighbor. Mm -hmm. But what about the child uh, who arrives on a raft with a family from another country uh, that has a dominant culture or religion that you don't understand, Mm -hmm. or perhaps you're not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Is that person your neighbor? Because you have obligations to the person next door to you in your mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they were crying help and you heard them, would you go running or would you say, that's not my problem? Mm -hmm. And yet when the child shows up on the raft with the family from the country with the culture, Mm -hmm. we say, that's really not my problem. I have to worry about the person next door and not that person. And it sort of, it it belies a definition that the word neighbor is built upon the concept of nearness. And what I say in the book is, is actually built on the concept of need. Mm-hmm. And and this is something I use, you know, the example of Mr. Rogers, who mm-hmm. for me, growing up, really shaped my understanding of neighbor because he could look into a screen at six-year-old Jonathan sitting Indian style looking at that TV sitting on the floor and he could say, won't you be my neighbor? And he meant it. Mm-hmm. And every day he was investing in my emotional formation in a way almost like a surrogate parent because not because I lived next to him not because he knew my name not because he would ever hear from me or come into contact with me but because he had an he believed he had an obligation to generations of children 
who needed something he could provide. And so then the question for me was, what would it look like if we took on that neighborhood expression of care mm-hmm. that I think was taught not just by Mr. Rogers, but by Jesus himself, uh, chiefly in the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, that we would um, begin to care for those who maybe are not close to us in proximity, but are close to us in their humanity. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I'm calling people to consider doing in that chapter. Yeah, as a Minnesotan, and I don't know how much you know about Minnesota culture, but there's the whole... Not a, not a, not a ton. Okay, but there's the whole Minnesota nice thing. If you come to Minnesota, people are really nice and friendly. It's also been described as Minnesota passive-aggressive, which is probably fairly accurate, that you know, well, you wouldn't say anything mean. If you don't like something, you would say, oh, that's interesting, which means that you don't like it usually. And there's this, you're, you're polite to people, but you would never invite them to your home. And a lot of my good friends are non, I grew up in Minnesota, generations and generations of my family in Minnesota. So that runs deep in me. And these friends of mine were talking about looking from the outside in of, Minnesota culture and how it's hard to crack into it when you're an outsider because people are not going to invite you into their home and their families around. So that's who they're going to spend a majority of their time with. And so I, I feel like this me- that your, your essay on neighbor, thinking about Minnesota and Minnesota culture is convicting and in a, in a process that I've already been in about, okay, it's more than just being friendly. To people it's more than just being friendly to the people that live next door to you but it's actually becoming a little bit invested in them and uh-huh. and caring for them for my actual physical nearby neighbors but then also you know watching i mean i'm a big fan of jeremy courtney and preemptive love oh yes i love love jeremy and to be able to support an organization that when i see what's happening in syria to know i'm I'm doing something for those neighbors and it it's he's giving people a way to be a neighbor to the other humans that we are walking on this earth earth with over in Syria and I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I think I think he is one of um he's one of those types of thinkers and writers that you know his his books and his blogs and his social media should have like a um, a warning label on them mm-hmm. because you you, yeah. you 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 sort of have to confront such a an all in approach to neighborliness mm-hmm. that it's very challenging and it challenges me so I I love him and if, if folks mm-hmm. don't know him they should definitely yeah I will put that in the show notes check him. yeah every time he posts something or does a video it makes me really uncomfortable but in all the good ways all the ways that I need to be uncomfortable which is how I felt was a similar feeling to reading your book that you were there were times that I felt uncomfortable and places that I needed to be a little uncomfortable and and wrestle with words one word that I've been wrestling with for about a year is the word good well and applying that to God, God is good. 
And, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, you know, what does God is good. The Bible tells us God's good. So you go and you live your life. And um, the thing that was stirring for me or what is making me wrestle with that, my mom died of cancer nine years ago. And uh-huh. I prayed for her to be healed and she wasn't. Uh-huh. And, and I thought I had dealt with that. And then oh. I came up later and I was praying, you know, Lord, you, what do you want me to do? I'll do what you want me to do. And I felt like he was saying, Angie, what is it that you want? You know, weren't you pour, pour your heart out to me? And I said, Lord, I did that. I did that before. And my mom still died. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so that's uh, still a thing. <laughs> uh-huh. And then I realized it was his goodness that I was having trouble with. And what I appreciated while I'm in this process of wrestling with that and reading your book, and even though you don't cover the word good in your essays, but just to take how you're saying we should take words and kind of reevaluate them and let them be a little more fluid. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing that you're, that you're acknowledging here, and you've acknowledged kind of two components. You know, there was a, there's a great... Um, sermon I once heard called The Virtuous Preacher. It was mm-hmm. by a, a lady named Barbara Brown Taylor. And mm-hmm. she says in there that the, the thing that makes, that matters most when it comes to a speaker of faith is not the words we use, but the virtues that we nurture, the who we are. And I thought that was so interesting because if people want to learn to speak God from scratch, you know, I talk about approaches I have in the back, very practical approach, a how-to guide for seekers and speakers. Mm-hmm. But some of it is recognizing that there are virtues that are required to speak God, mm. that we should be nurturing in our own lives, that the things that we need to revive confidence in the vocabulary of faith um, are not directly related to the, the act of speaking. It takes courage. You've mentioned this. It takes courage to speak God. So I'd ask, what are you doing to nurture courage in your everyday life to become a courageous person? You'll need to be a courageous person to speak God. You know, mm-hmm. you mentioned a minute ago, it takes vulnerability mm-hmm. to speak God, to quite literally bear your soul to someone else. What are you doing to nurture vulnerability, to become a vulnerable person in your everyday life? It takes passion. So much of this is just the Apostle Paul says, we believe and therefore we speak. The notion is, is that when we love something, that's the believe, the word believe there as Paul used it, the best synonym for that is to beloved. Mm. That when we become so passionately in love with God and the things of God, that will naturally bubble up and spill over onto other people. What are you doing to spark that passion for God mm-hmm. um, every, in, 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 every day in your life? I think these are kind of some simple, basic questions that people can, can sort of implement these practices in their life, and it will bear the fruit of becoming a more passionate God speaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I love the quote that you had from Brene Brown about vulnerability, that vulnerability is about sharing our feelings and experiences with people who have earned the right to hear them. I love that. Yeah, and that's and that is the different um, that's a different way of understanding. Some people think so what you're what you're telling me is that I've got to get up, 
on 8.30 on a Saturday morning and go knock on somebody's door without announcing myself. And no, 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 no. No, please don't. That is, that, please don't do that, <laughs> yeah. especially if it's my door you're knocking. <laughs> I won't appreciate that at all. Mm -hmm. But instead, what I say is that this just means having honest conversations mm -hmm. with people that you know and love and that this is important, that you trust mm -hmm. And to, to have conversations with um, those individuals about things of faith. Mm -hmm. that, that's really what I'm, I, I'm, I'm calling people to do. And once you realize that's what I'm calling for, most people are able to say, yeah, I can do that. I, mm -hmm. think, I, can, I think I can do that. Mm -hmm. Speaking about conversations, you have a whole essay about it. And I love the quote, it's on page 202, uh, where Jesus is not the message from God to us. Jesus is a perpetual call from God inviting us into a cosmic conversation. Jesus is a divine reminder that speaking God is worth the wrestling. He is proof that God wants us to keep talking and talking, no matter how fraught with complexities our sacred terms may be. I love oh. that. I love that. that it, it felt like to me that paragraph kind of wraps up everything that you're talking about in the book that uh -huh. it's 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 something it's a conversation that we get because of the conversation that God is having within the Trinity and with us and in our conversation with him and with each other and that it's an it's an ing it's an ongoing it's not an arrival it's uh -huh. a continued process yeah, and I think that that this is what what people I want people to know, and I didn't really discover this until the end of this process. Was it wasn't that I, I was just encouraging people to engage in a an action with mm -hmm. a beginning and an end, right. but to enter into a discipline. And mm -hmm. speaking God from scratch is, uh, as I say in the book, it's not a linear process. It's a uh, a, a cyclical process. You go again and again and again, and each time you're better equipped to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I'm encouraging people to do is to engage in this divine conversation and to incorporate it into their everyday life. Yeah, I love that. Well, there are two questions that I ask all of my guests. Because it's called Retreat House Podcast, I ask all my guests, how do you retreat? Is it a place? Is it a practice? What does it look like for you to retreat? You know, it's so funny that you are asking this question because we're having this conversation right now and I'm sitting <laughs> in the middle of Farmington, Missouri, mm -hmm. which is <laughs> like, I think, two and a half hours south of St. Louis in the middle of the country. Uh, I was just saying, you know, we were talking before we started recording about riding the side-by-side -side yesterday mm -hmm. and building a bonfire last night. And I'm here just staying with one of my really good friend's parents and just retreating. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think for me, it is it, it requires a mental shift, but I think that the, the concept of place is so underrated mm -hmm. that, yes, you can have a staycation. And that's great, especially if you're trying to save money and pay off debt and all those things. And I would never uh, discourage that. Mm -hmm. But to change your place, that we come to associate certain things with certain places. Mm -hmm. 
and that the place where I live and work, I associate with those everyday rhythms. Mm -hmm. And I don't live in a rhythm of retreat. So I have to have kind of a, uh, a break. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in a physical, spatial, geographic way mm -hmm. as well. That I have to break and I have to leave that space. Mm -hmm. And that for me has been a, a very important um, practice to build into my concept of retreat is to say, yes, yeah, sometimes I just need two hours where I go into my room and everybody leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And and also, mm -hmm. I need a geographical shift that will help sh uh, shock my mind mm -hmm. out of the rut of routines that are sucking the life out of me to begin <laughs> with. Right, exactly. I have a friend, the same one that talked about her soul catching up with her body, that she goes to the same place for a prayer retreat where she does listening prayer and practices silence and solitude. And she goes to the same place because her body remembers that place. And so the time, the amount of time that it takes for her to let her soul catch up with her body is a shorter amount of time because much like what you're saying in our everyday, our, our bodies, our minds are used to the, the regular schedule. But I love uh -huh. that, like the breaking of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes, I totally, I totally agree. And I think most people, they never think about place. And yet, mm -hmm. one thing is true about everybody. You always exist in a particular place at a particular time. Mm -hmm. Well, we think a lot about time, mm -hmm. but we don't think often as much about place. Mm -hmm. And uh, so much of who we are is dictated by shaped by uh, our sense of place you know you you take a child and you put a child in the inner city versus a predominantly monocultural suburb uh, versus uh, a you know on a rural farm and you let them spend their formative years there and that same child will be a radically different uh, adult mm -hmm. at the end of those respective processes and so place matters well just as it matters during our formative years i think it matters uh, during our adult years mm -hmm. and so if you're wrung out and strung out maybe it's a a good time to think about what it would look like to to shift from your physical space to another physical space to give yourself as it were a geographical blank canvas mm -hmm. on which to sketch out um, uh, a, a schematic for a retreat. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I try to do. I try to go somewhere. And sometimes for me, that's the beach. Mm -hmm. And sometimes for me, that is the mountains. And sometimes for me, that is Farmington, Missouri, <laughs> population 12,000. You know, and today I'll go to, uh, I don't know, uh, Walmart or mm -hmm. whatever they have here and that that's about all there is to do and I'll play a game of spades tonight and I'll mm -hmm. go to bed at 930 mm -hmm. and you know that's a big shift from living in Brooklyn New York mm -hmm. I haven't heard a horn honk outside my door in quite a while mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, that's really really important to me when it comes to the concept of retreat I love that and the other question I ask my guests if you were to use the hashtag celebrate weird to describe something about yourself what would that be? I have a high value of weird. Oh, I, well, first of all, I, I love, I think that strangeness 
is a, uh, a spiritual discipline. Mm. Um, if you haven't read it, uh, there's a really interesting book that just came out. If you want another contest. Uh, no, but that okay. is a great book. But it's even more to the concept of faith mm-hmm. is Keep Christianity Weird Ooh. by a guy named Michael Frost, who I, is somebody I really respect uh, when it comes to kind of faith and, and culture um, conversations. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think um, there is a real value in a weirdness. And mm-hmm. I think it's something we've lost, uh, particularly in the 1990s and uh, the kind of, um, you know, uh, church growth movement mm. where we, um, we sort of, um, began to want to just be relevant. Mm. We'd wanted to not be weird. And it was, uh, an, a, a, an overreaction to, in some ways, to, of culture separate, the cultural separatism that was not healthy. But um, I think that to rediscover Christian weirdness is an mm-hmm. important um, uh, spiritual discipline. So I thank you for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. For me, I think it would be, if I had to take a snapshot, it would probably be like my Twitter thread. Okay. Um, people, all, people always say, in fact, I had somebody yesterday who said they wanted to interview me. And I said, okay. And he's, he said, can I ask some real personal questions about how you think about things? And I said, yeah, why not? And he said, well... I just think you're sort of a confusing, maybe even frustrating kind of person to people because they never know what's going to come out of your mouth or where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I, I tend to be a bit progressive, but I also have some of my best friends are very conservative. My mm-hmm. family is very conservative and I can be kind of conservative on some things or I can be, I have, I have sort of strange friendships with people. Mm -hmm. And so I find that that is, uh, one of the strangest things is when people come into, um, people come into contact with me and they, they start to hear the way I think. And they're like, I don't really, I don't think I can put you into a box. Mm -hmm. You, you just go in your own box. Mm -hmm. And that I've always worn that as sort of a badge of, Mm -hmm. badge of honor. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. Your book has meant so much to me, and I've gotten probably about six friends to read it, and we're about to set up a time where we're going to get together, and we're going to talk about the book, and you actually even have like a little how-to, like a process to go through like you that you talked about in the back, and you know, I'm going to encourage us to, the group of us that are going to get together, to go through that and get together and just create safe space to have the hard conversation of figuring out how to learn how to speak God from scratch. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I've got another surprise for you, actually, because just today the designer just finished it, and I will be releasing it. It'll be on my website, but I'll put it out on social media, too, so be on the lookout. I've got a full multi-page small group discussion guide oh, that's awesome. that I'll be releasing and it's totally free. Mm-hmm. So uh, people can just go and they can download it. And so I really think this is not something, you know, we're, we're such, such an individualistic culture, mm-hmm. but we're a communal people. Mm-hmm. We're created for each other. And, and, and so many data points um, indicate that. So when it comes to speaking God from scratch, it is a spiritual discipline that is intended to be done 
in communal spaces Mm -hmm. and alongside others. And so I encourage people get into your book clubs and your small groups and get a couple of friends together, your mom's groups Mm -hmm. and your family. Mm -hmm. Do it around the coffee table or the kitchen table and have these conversations with your family. And so uh, I just finished producing that resource. So maybe you'll find some use for it even in your own. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. I just, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today at the table. Any information mentioned in the show or things we talked about can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Or if you've already subscribed, please leave a review so that others can find us too. If you want to keep up on what's happening with Retreat House, you can find us on all the social medias at at Retreat House Podcast. If you want to keep up with what's happening with me, you can find me at at Angie Smith MN. We'll see you next week at the Retreat House Podcast. Mm-hmm.